Wagner was the first person I interviewed for the Listen, Ask, Tell podcast and still the most memorable um, because it was just so different. I haven't met someone who had so little experience with the church and very little negative perception of it. And so his viewpoint and perspective were so refreshing and different from anything I've ever heard before. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome to a video podcast episode of Listen, Ask, Tell, where I'm interviewing uh, Werner Haig. And um, I want to explain a little bit about the purpose of this podcast. Um, I've noticed over the past three to five years, extreme polarization, um, not just on social media, though definitely including that, um, but also heard about and experienced um, in personal interaction among friends, among family, among church members, um, all kinds of disagreement. Um, echo chambers, um, anger, frustration, um, alienation, um, different views of reality. Um, and we are bombarded constantly by different messages. Um, and so words in terms of speaking are cheap, but listening is expensive. Um, and so what I want to do in this episode um, and in, in further episodes is talk about uh, the importance of listening and how to equip each other to listen better, especially as Christians. And so I thought, what's, uh, what's one way to do that, but to talk with someone who has a very different view um, of the the nature of reality um, than Christians do, um, and someone who um, may have a different uh, view of uh, the, the origin of the universe than I do. Um, and that's why I want to talk with uh, Werner Haig today, and he's also my neighbor. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's great to have him. Let me just give you a brief uh, bio um, about Werner. Um, he did his undergrad at MIT um, in chemistry and then got a PhD in environmental chemistry. He's got over 40 publications in scientific research journals, um, did postdoc research in Switzerland and at Stanford, um, journal articles for the EPA, National Science Foundation, and I think you um, you worked as a chem. He also um, coaches junior high and high school wrestling for the past 15 years. Mm -hmm. He enjoys trail running and ballroom dancing, um, and we've happened to uh, throw the fris frisbee around yeah, a little, um, bit, a little yeah. bit when yeah. I... And I saw in the park. So oh, thank yeah. you for joining me today. Yeah, I was also on the national frisbee team, ultimate frisbee team in Switzerland. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I also am on the uh, board of directors of the Humanist Global Charity, where we fund uh, uh, global, I mean, you, you know, charities all over in the world, mostly in Africa. I appreciate this particular topic because I also from my my perspective this is one of the major problems the, the big uh, disparities that we see I mean we used to know our neighbors and talk to our neighbors all the time but as you're I'm sure gonna mention the social media is probably a big part of this and right. we'll get to that actually I don't mind jumping in uh, what's your what's your take on why social media um, is such a barrier to yeah. uh, to being able to listen well Social media creates a few problems. One of them is the fact that we're not face-to-face. -face. Mm. And so you say things to people um, not face-to-face -face that you that you wouldn't say to someone directly, right? It's much easier to be, um, be uh, you know, derogatory. Um, and the face-to-face the -face cues that we have are really important that and people have sort of maybe forgetting that um to give you an example i was walking down the street or down the park one the other day and somebody approached me and said oh you you know hi to these nice people i said well, how, you don't even know me how, how do you know we're nice people he right. says well you're holding hands i was holding hands with my girlfriend right so 
so there's just an example yeah. of, of how these interactions and are, are just face to face is much better than right. than uh, just through these social media. And you can get certain cues, like he's able to observe that you're holding hands, something that you wouldn't be able to demonstrate in, in social media or on, on a Zoom meeting, um, and then be able to comment on it. Exactly, and but then there's also just looking someone in the eyes and seeing whether they're they're tweaking their their nose or something if you right. at a comment you're making and you you get all these cues that some someone is reacting one way or the other to to what you're saying um and then um there's other problems with the social media is is that of course you can isolate yourself in a bubble right and that that happens all the time and i mean i noticed that happening myself too i i hear somebody ranting about something different and it's just after a little while, it's annoying, and you just shut off. Right. And you'd much rather listen to what you you're interested in you, or that matches your style and your right. your thought processes. And then another aspect of this is that uh, there's been studies that show that fake news travels about ten times faster and farther than than real news. Right. I mean, fake news is often sensational, and it's just real news is often boring. And that's just life. We got to uh, adjust to boring stuff because that's where we not times need to be. But but that's what makes it is harder. And then a, a third reason, perhaps, is just a generally faster pace in life. We we don't have time, or we don't take the time at least. When we're face to face, we may do this more. I mean, the podcast here is a great example of spending real time and doing some deep thinking about this. Right. But but you get bombarded with. 20, 30, 50 emails a day, you can't think about them all. Right. You, you answer and people tend to answer in emails and in, in Facebook on snippets and one-liners and they're never deeply thought out. I, I used to spend a lot of time trying to explain things on Facebook and then someone would, you know, and I gave references and, and then someone would come along and said, oh, that's all bunk. You know, so they obviously didn't really read about right. it, think about it or research it. So, and that's just the change of the way, maybe that's one of the bad things about technology that we're just, everything's faster. Right. And we just have to uh, cut down more than we used to. I want to drill down on something you said, I think sure. you're in your second point um, about fake news traveling faster. Mm. Um, and it's, it's certainly you can have fake news that, um, that confirms what you already believe. Right. Um, but I see, I see it the opposite where it's usually fake news that confirms what we already believe, but is against us, right? It's a, it's a caricature mm -hmm. of the the view that we oppose, mm -hmm. um, and that travels very quickly. Um, because mm -hmm. one thing that um, social media is good at is polarizing, right? right. It it forces you to to take an extreme position, right. um, and so that I've I've definitely noticed that. Um, yeah, it goes both ways. And that's right. I've seen it both ways. And, that's right. That's right. But it's it it forces you to choose a stance, yeah. um, and then um, think uncharitably right. um, about the opposing. Right. viewpoint they're good at getting at your your gut right and this immediate reaction like okay this guy has and they exaggerate by exaggerating immediately makes you have a gut reaction in right. whatever direction they're trying to pull you and so speaking of, of disagreement um i i think i said earlier um we may have a different uh fundamental view of reality but i think what i meant is we have a different view of the the nor the origin of reality or, or mm -hmm. the belief around a supreme being mm -hmm. um and so i think one of the first questions i want to ask is um 
I, I know for myself, I have an evolving um, definition of what it means to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, how do you define what it means to be an atheist? We didn't mention in the beginning that I'm the president of the yes. atheist community yeah. of San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. So I have very clear feelings on this. Yes. And, and, and could I share a quick story? Sure. Um, I think I saw you um, as a neighbor, maybe in the past. Right. Um, but I think when we, when I discovered that you were the president, was mm -hmm. um, volunteering at Second Harvest. Oh. Um, we were we were both part of groups volunteering at Second Harvest. Mm -hmm. I think you were wearing the T-shirt, okay, um, right. Atheist Community of San Jose. Yeah. So yes, this is the president. So how of... did we realize that we were neighbors? I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that far. Did, did we just see you walking yeah. by? Or I think so. I think so. Or maybe I saw you at the park um, yeah, at a later maybe. time. So the term atheist simply means that we don't believe in the supernatural. And that means gods or astrology or most of other forms of, of mysticism. Um, but most human, most atheists are also humanists, and that by that we mean they're people helping people. That's the important thing in in life and caring for others in our present lives and and not relying on supernatural help or or expecting an afterlife to sort of resolve everything. Is it fair to assume that um, an atheist is also a materialist? And when I say materialist, I mean um, it owns only the material world um, that exists. Um, yes, I guess the materialism, that concept, I just, I just give a Zoom meeting on the history of atheism. I think that term started with the Greeks. Okay. Um, and uh, so more or less, yes, we don't really believe in souls. Okay as such so uh the the idea that um when we die our bodies die and whatever happened whatever had been us ceases to function and we decay and there's nothing really left except in the memories of the people who who have been with us so humans are a very social animal and so we really um depend on each other a lot and um, humans are the the only ape that have whites in their eyes. And so we can tell where someone else is looking hmm. from, from where their eyes are moving better than other, other uh, apes and gorillas and such. And, and so that those, those human interaction and cues begin very, very early in life. Um, and, and we project what someone else is thinking by, you know, by what they're right. doing. And so even little babies try to direct attention to something they find interesting to their mothers or parents before they can speak. Um, so these kind of human interactions are very important to us. And our whole social structure is built on this, on, on helping and cooperation. And that's how we've evolved to basically dominate the planet. Um, and so when a person dies, we feel a big loss. And so that is just a naturally biologically occurring thing that they're dying and, and they don't exist anymore. But in us, we feel a major, major loss because that's been such an important part of our, our experience. So that's, I think, where the sort of the concept of souls may, may come. Yeah, that's a, that's a really... That's a fascinating idea, mm -hmm. because there are many ways in which every culture um, celebrates or, or uh, holds death as important. 
Um, and every culture has some traditions regarding that. The idea of a soul is a big, it's kind of integral to how people view death. I mean, if there's an afterlife, you have to, your soul, obviously right. your body's not going there, but your soul is going there. What I hear you saying is the idea of a soul is, it originated in part, it helped mit mitigates the devastating impact of, of death. It's that absence that's missing that, that you ex assumed had been there, or would be there for the rest of, you know, of your life. And you and now all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And I would say certainly um, one of the things that I find compelling um, about Christianity is that it offers an explanation, mm -hmm. a, a way to make sense um, of death. Um, and that's that's a huge part of, of yeah. what my yeah. faith means. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. understandable. Yeah. yeah. Within Christian circles, we have what's called a, a testimony mm -hmm. um, or a story of conversion. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a, um, a narrative of how we came to faith and we talk about mm -hmm. that in, in various uh, ways, like coming to know Jesus, making a decision to receive Christ. Right. Um, and I think we've we've talked about this, we've discussed this, but how do you describe yeah. your, uh, okay. I don't know if conversion story is the right word, but uh, your journey right. in uh, in identifying as an atheist? Well, lots of um, people in the ACSJ, some of them have conversion stories because they were they were Christians or of some religious faith for a large part of their life. In my case, I grew up with a modicum of Christianity early on, but our family kind of um, just faded away from from that when I was about nine years old. Yeah. And we just found that, for the most part, um, we could live happy, uh, good lives, uh, productive lives, successful, successful uh, with, without religion. So there wasn't really a big moment of... Um, <clears throat> you know, conversion for, for me at least, like it was for, is for right. some people. But there are a couple of examples of, uh, if you want some examples of sort of testimonial. Sure. I was a scientist in graduate school doing some ex lab experiments. And after doing a series of lab experiments, I, I um, began to understand the the phenomenon that I was studying, this particular batch of type of chemistry, and I felt I knew everything. And so I was it was getting late and I, I wanted to go home, but there was this one more test that I needed to do, or I thought I should do, and I and I told myself, you know, you don't really need to do this test because you already know the result. You know, you're just trying to confirm everything and, and you don't really need to do it. But I I, you know, I stuck, stuck with it and I did the experiment and lo and behold, the result was different than what I thought, huh. right? And this was an aha moment for me because it showed me that I can make up all kinds of things in my brain that are, that I, I'm fully convinced I know the answer to. And yet, when I actually go to the physical real world, then it, it's different. And then I, I quickly understood what I had done, what, why this happened, and, but, but it just was really that aha moment. Yeah. So, so you really have to, you, you can make up lots of stories and that's part of what's, what's great about humans. I mean, we can imagine all kinds of things. We can, we can imagine a building a bridge across this, uh, this bay and then make it come to fruition. Right. And that's what makes us great engineers and 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 great musicians and and great artists, etc. That we can imagine all these things, but you it doesn't necessarily translate to reality. 
Right. So that that was an important thing. Another example was um, I tore my ACL in wrestling, and the doctor looked at it and he said, you know, it's torn completely through. It, it will never heal without doing an operation to, uh, you know, get a pig's tendon or something that they, they do these days or, or take some from your ankle and heal it up. And I said, yeah, can I use it? And he says, yeah, you can go on, but you're, you won't have much stability in your knee. And so I kept, I kept wrestling carefully and um, started gradually getting some feeling back and being able to do more. But, but after a year, I decided, you know, this is, just isn't working that well. So I'm going to go in and do the operation. So I went in, had the operation. He put me under. And I woke up, and the guy and the doctor said, "Well, I said, well, how did it go?" He says, "Guess what? It healed by itself, huh. automatically. Nothing happened. <laughs> right? This was without prayer, okay, <laughs> without any kind of prediction or anything. But the doctor said it would never heal by itself, and it did. So that was another moment that sort of said, "Oh, well, see." <laughs> when you say see, I mean we hear lots of Christian stories who about people faith healing right 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 and so people on stage and then all of a sudden they can either walk right. or see or this kind of thing right so, um i mean to be honest with you a lot of those seem fraudulent to me you shared two examples yes. both of which um in a it could have could have also be found in a christian testimony right um the first example being a sign of um um, humbling, we call that, or, or an experience of humility mm-hmm. where, um, the, the, uh, what you thought you knew wasn't, wasn't really right. accurate. Um, and certainly Christian testimonies have that element where, um, God, we use, we, we say God humbles us in some way, mm-hmm. right? That's the meaning, that's the meaning we assign to it. Um, and then, uh, with the, the story of the healed knee, um, you could, you could also assign meaning that, uh, that God healed you, but you don't, you don't, right. you don't assign that meaning. The concept is always that you pray for that help or for this mir- supposed miracle, right. um, and and I'm saying this all happened without that. It defies the narrative in in that sense. It defies that particular narrative. Got it. Right. Right. Got it. So I mean, I suppose a Christian would would come along and said, "Well, God." <laughs> Helping you in a serious Sorry. way, okay. you know. <laughs> but okay. Um, but uh, let me s- say that I guess the other thing that makes me an atheist is is a- as a scientist, uh, I've done lots of research proposal evaluation. So we have to give money to people, and I'm doing this for the EPA or the National Science Foundation, that sort of thing, and we have to very, very carefully analyze someone's proposal for what they're going to do with this money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars if we right. give it to them. And and um, we would just not even, if, if there's anything wrong with someone's thought process or um, then we most, you know, only about five or 10% of these proposals are accepted. Okay. And so it's very critical. So we couldn't possibly um, give money to something that, uh, is doing or expecting some kind of mystical approach or th- there have been studies on whether 
mystical or supernatural effects are are real and they mostly failed and and so we couldn't honestly uh you know we're 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 very critical of other scientists and scientists are always arguing you know and so we're always looking for the proper evidence and someone will claim something and then you know we'll we'll reject that person right. freely um and there will be arguments in in the um in the peer-reviewed journals but um so that's that's part of me that wants to have clear evidence for everything that we see the obvious evidence right or or demonstrable repeatable evidence right suppose the christians will see they'll see things that they consider evidence and that i would not agree with and sure but i can understand where a christian would also have evidence and in in the way they interpret things the struggle has been for me in this regard when it comes to um, how um, faith and science interact um, is that um, most of my most of the faith claims that i uphold mm -hmm. are um, impossible to empirically mm -hmm. validate yeah. and um, it took me a long time to to get to that point to uh admit that yeah. <laughs> to acknowledge to acknowledge that but it, it it but it's uh i think that's Right. true right. um however there are certain i don't want to call them realities but uh, principles i guess mm -hmm. um that um, can't be empirically validated yet i ascribe to mm -hmm. um i'm not sure again there are probably there are probably uh some similarities where um like the fact of of how devastating death is mm -hmm. and how much we des desire to make meaning of it um that indicate to me might point to some, to a something supernatural to something greater than the material universe mm -hmm. um at the same time i recognize uh i could be just trying to mitigate you know the devastation of death by you know constructing something mm -hmm. so i'm able to hold both of those to recognize i can have both yeah. of those viewpoints yeah. but i i choose, choose you know yeah yeah, yeah. I, I choose i choose the non-materialist you often yeah. hear the the statement i i don't have enough faith to be an atheist and I'll, I'll address that in a positive yeah. way, I think, yeah. for, your, for your listeners, yeah. in that, um, yes, there's a lot of faith, even as a scientist, it, if someone's writing something, and I don't, I'm not an expert on that topic, but I know this person has a good name, then I will believe what he says, without, because we, as humans, cannot take the time to research everything. We, we have to take on faith a lot of things that we're taught and told as as a child you take on faith what your parents tell you and that continues on in adult life just because you can't be you you, you have to make decisions on incomplete information yes. all the time yes and that's the way we survive uh, you know when we were um, you know in the neolithic area era you the whole story goes you hear this rustling in the in the grass is that a tiger or is it just the wind well you have to make a decision based on if you're not sure you better get out of there yeah but that that's an extreme example but but um you know you have faith that your car is going to start in the morning that um that your son put gas in the car last time so you don't have to go and and um you don't have to understand how the engine works in order to drive the car right so we make lots and lots of assumptions um and you know we have faith that our money works right 
right? In our legal system and and even even laws. And so um, there's there's lots of things that require sort of judgments based on incomplete information. And if you right. want to call that faith, fine. So it's right. it's it's perfectly logical what you're what you're doing. There's different kinds of faith, right? Those things are very relational, right? Uh, meaning it's in the context of an ongoing relationship that someone. Mm-hmm. You know, makes that kind of claim, and and yes, absolutely, I view my Christian faith in a similar way. But um, I don't always get the the two way mm. kind of interaction, at least that in the same way uh, between me and God. Um, and so there's there's a little there's some there's some differences. The daily we, stuff is more more provable, more graspable. But I I have faith that 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 the theory of relativity works. Right. right. I I don't understand it or anything, and I've never I never had any connection to how how that could be real um, until I learned that it helps like our GPS program that our GPSs were always off by several meters or a few meters until they incorporated relativistic effects in the transmission of the signal. Hmm. And so there's an example of how relativity, but other than that, I don't understand it or, yeah. but I just believe it because yeah. it's been told by people like, I believe are are smarter than me. I appreciate that. I, I have a, I have another friend um, who's an atheist that um, has talked to me about faith, mm. and he he doesn't talk about it in the same way mm. um, that you've described it. And so I appreciate there's a there's there's a broad way to think about it. So one of the things that we talked about earlier was levels of polarization. You talked about social media um, and pace of life. I think one of the things that I've observed in terms of like the dearth of listening or the death of listening today, and ter- and when it comes to face to face interaction. Um, alluding to something you said earlier is we rely on experts. Yeah. And so we, we take some, what someone says at face value. Um, and then we trot out that person's opinion, but we haven't really thought it through for ourselves. Do you, do you observe that? Is that something that you've also, um, experienced? Is that a problem within the atheist community? Cause I, I, I've, I experienced that, uh, quite often among Christians where, you know, there are certain celebrities or, or experts, um, and that's true in the political realm also. And then they people just regurgitate um, that person's viewpoint or or employ jargon without really understanding um, what it means. That's common in daily life. So uh, I'll, I'll see that everywhere. Um, among the atheists, um, at least the people I interact with, there's uh, there's there's a lot more critical thinking I hmm. think going on. So. Um, now there's a whole range of atheists too. So, um, you know, some of our atheists are are just uh, agnostics, and some of them are are liberals, and, and some of them are conservative, and some are libertarians, and they just don't want to hear anything from anybody, whether it's God or the government. You know, just get out of my face, right? And so, so yeah, you'll get some of those people who who just then will regurgitate whatever, yeah. whatever there is. Um, yeah. Like I said, that's common. Yeah. Okay. I think. Okay. I think so. It's. It's. I think it's a little bit less. At least, with the people I interact with, we have our discussion group. They're quite uh, thoughtful and careful. Can you tell me a little bit more about the atheist community of San Jose and what some of the goals are of your sure. your organization? Yeah. Thanks for asking. We're first of all a group that is just a bunch of friends socializing. So just like anybody else, I mean, social cohesion is one of the most important things in society, whether it be family or friends. And and if you're gonna ask me what's good about religion, I would say this is one of the top things that 
that it brings people together and it brings them face to face and it and it brings them talking to each other and doing things and having those social networks and when someone's in trouble there's someone there to back right. you up and, and help you out whether it be family or friends um i i personally feel like we i get those connections i have a strong family bond and uh, members of all these clubs or running clubs and atheist group and wrestling and, and everything i got more groups of friends that i can handle um and so i get all that from, from that group but if uh if really religion is your, your way of doing that then by all means that's that's ultimately very important and mm. and uh that you know will keep your kids out of trouble after school it'll keep them it'll it'll reduce the amount of crime and 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 just bring people being more helpful to each other so yeah. i mean that's to me a humanist ideal and um that those ideals can be had different ways and religion is surely a good one so we really have four four kind of things one is just being that friendship having that social network the other is being we want to sort of purvey or a positive image for atheists because atheists have been amongst the most hated groups hmm. in the country hmm. for for a long time um, um and then because of those if someone is leaving religion we provide sort of a refuge for that hmm. if uh, because the, the difficult most difficult part of leaving religion is often leaving that whole social group that they right. were in right and being excommunicated from their family and such like that so we pr right. provide that um somewhere for them to go if they, if they want that if they choose that um that, that, honestly that there hasn't been very many uh, people like that but okay. occasionally that happens yeah and then lastly we we do other philanthropic activities and you know i mean we go bowling but we also fund a, a medical clinic in africa provide water tanks and clean water and and support their classrooms and orphanages um and we go to the food bank and do street cleanups and right. blood drives and things like right. that. so that's the what we do at the atheist yeah community. thank you yeah lots of dinners and discussions and that kind of thing that's how we met right through the uh oh, yeah, or through saw each other to did the fruit bank volunteering and um and you let me know about some of the discussions you've had so oh. yeah that's great yeah um yeah so <clears throat> proselytizing is that something that's important as part of an atheist community no not really i wear my atheist t-shirt when i go running uh-huh <laughs> and people and i have my atheist bumper sticker and i just put a big a in my in my front yard yeah <laughs> but i'm the exception people people see that and they go boy you're brave right and so part of it is part of it is that um religion has been dominant in, in society for yeah. so long and, and atheists have been you know suppressed and you know in the 1600s you're burned at the stake and so there's some fear of doing that um then partly um people just don't want it don't feel that it's necessary okay um and a lot of you know there's always sort of this question what do i do if i'm going to thanksgiving and there's other family members and they want to pray or in some other group you know what do you do and, and do you just do you also pray and join in or do you or do you not and and so um you you don't want to ruffle feathers too much 
So, so there's not, it's not a big part of what people do. So yeah. you sort of gen, generally just go along and, um, and try to not, uh, cross problems. Um, going out, we, we do sometimes have like a booth at, at a mall or, or an outdoor festival and saying, and then let people come and ask questions if they want. And that way, if it's up to them to come and ask us rather than yeah. us going out and, and proselytizing. So, Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's um, helpful. There, there is um, some aspect of joining groups like um, pro-choice groups and women's rights groups. And so there's a little bit, of, there's some of that, yes. Okay. So if that's, that's not really proselytizing atheism as much as that particular group's uh, right. goals. Yeah. Does being part of an atheist community, is that, uh, it seems like the Venn diagram overlaps with being more liberal or progressive? Most okay. most of our members are pretty liberal, yes. Okay, got it. But that we're, we're definitely interested in meeting all kinds of people. And, you know, as Abe Lincoln said, the best way to defeat your enemy, enemy is, is to make him a friend. Right. And so to discuss with him and get comfortable and let and let people understand your point of view and um hopefully we'll have more conservatives who are also atheists right so we have nothing against the conservative values as as far as being conservative it's a natural dichotomy to have liberals and conservatives some people want change and some people want to stay the same and there's always that balance right um but yes most of our members are more on Do, the liberal side. How much is the function of being an atheist or the area, the area we live in, being in the Bay Area? No, I think it's a function of being atheist. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Um, because, um, the, I mean, there are atheists all over the country, of course, uh, and they tend to also be more liberal, okay. more liberal people in those areas. Okay. It's just that thought process is... is um, why? I don't, I don't I haven't thought this one through exactly, but being more critically thinking and being more cosmopolitan okay. tends to open as you um, as you visit a lot of other countries, you see lots of different ideas and different ways people are doing things, and then you realize, oh, what I was always taught is or was was what I thought was fundamental and fixed is really not that fixed yeah. that you can do things in a lot of different ways. And therefore um, you're much more open to, to gaze and yeah. alternate lifestyles and that, that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, and the people who tend to be more conservative or um, not any, not everyone by all means, but, tend to be more in the middle of the country sure. where there's less traveling. A lot of people haven't gone outside their sure. state or even city. So sure. they don't see all, lots of alternative cultures. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, I, I'm not surprised um, by what you said, but I, I haven't thought about it um, at length either. So yeah. that was, that was helpful. That was insightful. This actually happened that. the first time I read, I just read during the Roman period where uh, around 300, uh, the 300, was it 300, yeah, the Hellenistic age, uh, three, um, there as as the Roman Empire and Alexander the Great and the Persian empires um, spread across, they they integrated a lot of smaller cultures, 
And so there's there's a lot more mixing of of ideas. Hmm. And and that led to more cosmopolitan and these philosophies like Stoicism, Epicureanism, and uh, uh, and skepticism that that um, were mostly um, mostly didn't believe in an afterlife. Okay, and and just said, well, we as Epicureans, for example, uh, said that we need to uh, enjoy life here while now while we can. That doesn't mean being just wasteful or or abusing other people it just means do, doing the best we can here here now and so those those kind of ideas are, are pretty old that might segue into our um into our next question um as far as how you view um religious people um and one of the things uh, i asked in this question um was religious people can be poor listeners uh. um and I'm I'm interested how you may may have experienced this firsthand. I mean I, I'm I'm speaking that um, as almost kind of a confession, um, where, um, yeah, I know I haven't. <laughs> I struggle at times to be able to listen well, and it's been um, quite a considerable amount of work and effort that I've had to exert um, to learn how to listen well. Yeah. Um, and so I would imagine um, you've had. Um, run-ins with religious people where you didn't experience them as as listening very well. I'd love to hear right. uh, what that was like. Many people are poor listeners. <laughs> it's not it's it's natural to want to convince other people to be like yourself. Right. Like yes. I'm, I'm going around all the time trying to convince girls and guys to join my wrestling team. <laughs> and I think wrestling is the greatest sport. For <laughs> Better than ultimate. Well, in <laughs> certain ways, yes, yes. Um, it was more all around. Anyway, I love it, and so I want other people to love it, yeah. and and so that's a natural thing. And whether it's religion or football or whatever you do, or playing the, the piano, uh, you know, people are always trying to convince you to to be like like them, and it's natural. We're like I said, we're social beings. We want people to join our crew, our group. Right. Um, now, um, as a scientist, we're trained very hard to listen carefully and mm. listen to someone's propositions before before answering or criticizing um and so i feel like i have that experience a little bit better than than the average person um i i think that happens in atheist groups as well that uh, like it happens all across society yeah um I do, however, think that um, perhaps because, as you talk about proselytizing, that's sort of part of the training of, of religious people. And so when someone comes knocking on my door, they're not coming in with an open mind and say, hey, let's have a discussion about this. They're, they're coming in with an agenda to try to teach me something or convince me of something. Yes. And so that's perhaps a little bit more than the average person uh, religious people are right. are trying to do that yeah. we train people to um, proselytize uh -huh. and be aggressive um, and maybe if I were if I could maybe respond to that and again not to not to excuse it but just to to give uh, uh, some perspective um, we believe we have the best news in the world and we want to convince people of it um, and so it reminds me of, I think it was the movie don't look up which I think was a parody um, about a meteor 
um, that that was going to hit the earth. Mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to go around and convince people that this is real, um, but people didn't believe them. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a little bit of that kind of experience where we're trying to uh, convince people of an impending reality mm -hmm. that's invisible um, and that, that you need to respond to, yeah. right? And so we feel an urgency right, um, right. to be able to communicate it yeah. um, at the expense of um, often, you know, being able to listen well. Listen, yeah. um, and so um, in my journey as a Christian, I've, um, I've definitely received that training. I give that training today. Mm -hmm. um, and yet I also realize um, it's important um, to, there's a cliche way to say it, but to, to meet people where they're at um, in terms of where they're coming from, in terms of hearing their perspective in order to help them um, perhaps see what we're, what we're trying to convince them of. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's kind of how I yeah, how I think about yeah. it. So whenever I give a lecture at a school or something, you always kind of or, or an other meeting, um, first ask who who has experience in this field or, right. or who who's trained how or what wh what is the audience that you're listening right. that right. you have, and then you can adjust your talk uh, to that level. Yes. And so I think that's what you're saying. I ask that all the time. Yeah, I ask that all the time when I come into an audience um, where they're mm -hmm. coming from, because part of uh, part of the communication work or effort is what are the presuppositions someone has coming into the conversation? Because right. if you can't address the presupposition, it's right. a non-starter. You're not you're not you're not getting anywhere with that person. Um, and so sometimes uh, you can you can sense that sometimes from the very beginning. Sure. just in the first minute of the conversation yeah. um, whether that someone has the presupposition mm. um, and that's true either way religious or non religious just any right. any right. any any audience any yeah, yeah any topic mm -hmm. um, but like you said that that is a great segue to the next one mm -hmm. um, what do you think it means to be a good listener and I think you've given some indication of that um, as a scientist being able to uh, uh, approach something objectively um, and how do you practice it in your own life the key here I think is to have an open mindset in the beginning and um, always approach a new person with the mindset that, um, okay, what can I learn from this conversation? <clears throat> Even if you don't agree with the other person, you, you know, let, let them state their position and their state of, and what they're trying to tell you. Right. Um, rather than having this mindset of, well, what can I teach this person or what can I, you, you can have that in the back of your mind. Um, but oh, start the conversation with, okay, what, how can I learn something from that? You can always learn something from everybody, you know, even if, even a little kids sometimes. Right. Um, so because everyone's has different experiences and, and coming from different places. So, so that, that's really the, the, the main key. Um, and the second approach is to have, make sort of open-ended questions mm. um, <clears throat> instead of leading questions. Um, so, and yeah, if you lead them already in a certain direction and then you, um, so if you ask an open-ended question, you, you may get an answer you weren't even expecting, you know, you may have something in particular in mind, uh, that you want to address, but they mentioned something completely different. And then that, now you have an aha moment, you open your mind, oh, this is what they're thinking about. Or, or, that's right. right. That's right. So that, that's helpful. Um, and, um. 
that's helpful, especially even in in teaching and you know little kids. If you're teaching them history or whatever whatever it is, first ask an open-minded question, and then if they're sort of floundering and they don't know how to go, then you can right. sort of lead them in a certain direction. Right. The second can only follow from the first. You can only you would only ask an open-ended question if you're really interested in the other person and you want to learn from them. If you're not, then it's not going to lend yourself. It's not going to lend itself. To wanting to ask an open question. Yes, in the context of this, in the context of, text of teaching someone, it helps them, uh, makes them think right. more. Right. Because if the question's open ended, now they have to formulate the answer. But you know, if if I ask someone, "Oh, how did you like the hike today?" then then they can answer, "Oh, I loved all the trees," or "I loved seeing the salamander." Right. Or, and you can see what what picks them out. But if you tell them, if you say to them, well, was it too rocky on the trail today? Right. Then, then already you're you're limiting what they're what they don't have to formulate anything. Right. 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 Absolutely. Can be so challenging about being a good listener is that at the end of the day, it's not really a skill. I mean, you can know the skill oh, yeah. of asking open-ended questions, but if you don't have a character attitude. Um, of wanting of openness to another person, it, right. it doesn't matter. Yeah. The skill doesn't matter. It's hard because I'm often criticized, or I will uh, um, sometimes have a discussion with someone, and then they'll go start going into all this, and I'm so open that um, my, that they have the feeling that I don't know anything about the topic. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, and so they'll start telling me all these little details right. that I know a hundred times. Right. Um, so maybe it can go overboard right. if you're right. not cautious. But, but I, I appreciate that about you because uh, you have an openness when I'm when I'm talking about something that I, I feel like you're letting me teach you about something. But then I, I usually find out later you've you've either heard it before or or are well acquainted with it. So I try to I try to keep my answer short, and then you can you can comment you can comment that you know it already, right? Well, right. That, that's that's you're learning, but but. Uh, you know, even if I've heard this thing s several times before, there's always a new twist to it. And right. So that's interesting. And, right. And I really appreciate that we can have this kind of conversation. Absolutely. With you and and um, yeah, it's it's fun. You know, we can even if we have different life outlooks, we can still be friends right. and and we can still have picnics together and and all this stuff. That's right. My, the whole other side of my family that lives in Germany, they're all quite religious. And, oh. And they're. Yeah, I mean, one of them's a pastor, and others are going to divinity school or something. Wow, not all of them, but but right, but a lot of. So, them. is it is that difficult to navigate? It hadn't been. I mean, they're such great people, you know, absolutely wonderful people. Um, so every time we go there, we're welcome with open arms, right. and they'll do anything for us. And and the same thing when they come here, um, it's become a little bit more. I, I've become a little bolder in my atheism lately, and so I've gone through a phase of sort of. It, it took me a while to sort of have the courage to to talk about this yeah, thing to initiate conversations. Yes, um, especially with with them, um, but uh, I think I've over that now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it it provides a little bit of problem, but not much. Yeah, I, I appreciate that boldness. I mean, that that's something within um, Christian circles we really encourage people 
to have, yeah, you know, sure. to be able to initiate conversations about God and talk about spiritual things. So, hmm. yeah, I, I must say that in Europe, though, the religion is more is not as, uh, it, how should I say, polarizing as it is here in the U.S. Hmm. I mean, the, the U.S. religions, the Southern Baptists and and such. I'm not familiar with all the religions, but they're much more um, aggressive. Hmm. In Europe, it's everything sort of, it's much more tolerated and, and it's, you can be religious and it's low key mm. and um, it's not as, you know, they're not as pushy in, in, in the religion as, mm. so it's, it is different. It's, it's easier that way. I, I had no idea. I mean, I don't, much, I don't know much about um, how the European expressions of Christianity, so. That's that's new for me. Yeah. I have a couple more questions, sure. um, but uh, you mentioned you might have a question or two for me. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. In the interest of dialogue, I'd, I mean, I'd love to uh, I'd love to do my best right, uh, to answer any right. any question you might have. What does a Christian feel? What what goes through your mind when you hear there's an atheist yeah. walking down the street, or you're meeting one? Sure. Or you know what 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 happens in your in your brain sure. or your heart. Or yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what went through my head. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't speak for all Christians, but I can tell you what went through my head. Um, for instance, when I, when yeah, I, but try to tell me what happens with, other right, 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 right. Yeah. And yeah. And I, and I can speculate and I think you've already, um, you've already touched on some things. So when I saw, you know, the group of you wearing the t-shirt mm -hmm. and I think I might've recognized you as a neighbor. I think my first, um, my first thought was, uh, I think I generally think of atheists as angry. Mm -hmm. I think I think of anger. Yeah. Um, I think there's something, um, and I think that anger um, is typically associated with hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think one of our first conversations, I asked you um, what percentage of the people who become atheists were formerly Christians or grew up in the church, mm -hmm. um, because in my experience or observation or or maybe it was just what I've read, um, it comes out of some kind of hurt um, oh. inflicted by the church. Yeah. Um, and that's where they had that hurt and anger and disappointment come from. And don't get me wrong. There's plenty of Christians who've also experienced hurt and are also angry at the church. Um, and so within that, uh, within that, within that greater set of people who've been hurt by the church, there's a subset of people who've decided, um, that they want to completely eject from Christianity or, or reject Christianity and, uh, and become atheists. Um, and so that's my, that's part of my stereotype is that there's some anger. What are the other people who are angry or where, where does that come from? The church is an institution. Sure. And so, um, and like many institutions throughout history has, uh, you know, has some checkered past to it mm, sure. um, of abuse, right? Um, and, and though the church has contributed um, incredible things to civilization, there's also been some things that are, are not so great. Um, and so um, when I talk about, when we talk about spiritual abuse and there's been some high profile scandals um, within um American evangelical circles over the past three to five years, mm -hmm. um, whether it's uh, sexual infidelity or um, spiritual abuse, um, bullying, intimidation, manipulation, um, all these different types of, of scandals, um, people have experienced uh, some a lot of hurt um, mm -hmm. because of that. And my my observation is most Christians, um, especially during COVID, just stopped attending a church. Mm -hmm. So that was their way of rejecting their the institution. Now they still retain belief in God. Mm -hmm. but they reject the institution of the church. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So they, yeah, they, sure. they're able to keep it separate. For me, as a pastor, I see those as very much intertwined because mm -hmm. like you said, the social cohesion of being a Christian is it's, it's integral sure. to the Christian faith. And so if you're disconnected from a local body of believers, what we call it like a community of Christians, that's not 
really being a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus talks about uh, his followers being known by the love they have for one another. Um, and so I think that's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. Um, but getting back to your question, um, does that, that answer that first part? Okay. Um, so I, I think I said anger. Um, and then my, my stereotype of atheists is also that they're, they're, they're intelligent and educated um, and good critical, critical thinkers. Um, and then, you know, maybe less favorably um, disagreeable and contrarian. They're willing to go um, against the tide. And that that actually can go both ways, right? It's actually good to be contrarian uh, mm -hmm. when everyone when when everything's you know urging towards conformist. Um, but I also see that in terms of like you know libertarians too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there probably is some you know overlap between libertarians and, and atheism because it's like I want to think my own way. Don't don't yeah. don't touch me. So there is some. I do have a little bit of a stereotype of radical individualism among atheists. Um, because of uh, because of that disagreeable nature and the rejection of institutional authority, mm -hmm. um, but I mean the fact that you're part of an atheist community and the president definitely uh, uh, debunks that you know co counters that stereotype, mm -hmm. um, and so I do and then I do have um, a stereotype of atheists being more male um, because I, I associate mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah mm -hmm. um, and then kind of disconnected along along those lines right mm -hmm. because part of because of that disagreeable. Um, disconnected from society yeah 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 exactly uh less social yeah uh, more antisocial mm -hmm. yeah more antisocial and then okay. and then part of my stereotype too is um and i think i thought this a little bit is that being an atheist um and you and you and you disproved this um based on what you're saying being an atheist is a negation my my mm -hmm. stereotype is that uh atheism is a negation meaning like it's a negation of god right mm -hmm. it's it's the absence of a belief it's not the presence of a belief um but your earlier answer was most atheists are humanists. Mm -hmm. So you're not just denying something, you're affirming humanity. And I think that's really important yeah. um, because uh, to me, a negation is not a... Not, not a it, <laughs> yeah, it's not a... Yeah. That's not something to rally around, right? The, right, right. You, you don't rally around the absence of something, right, right. you rally around the presence of something, yeah, right? Yeah. So a belief in humanity is something worth rallying around right. and so that gives them a, a lot more richness part of the goal of the atheist mm. community of san jose is, is to make ourselves obsolete mm. so we don't want to be just there in order to negate right we want to i i would rather have all of these people being involved in their soccer clubs or or their drama club or or whatever it takes to build their own community right um we don't so so that's yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be around that just yeah. that negative thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And part I, part of the anger, I think I'm not sure if the anger you're, you're talking about spiritual abuse is that what you said, or are you are you talking about some of the physical abuses? That no, no. I I mean both. Um, but I also mean anger in terms of um, you mentioned aggressiveness. American evangelicalism. We we. We tend to be pretty aggressive around uh, around proselytizing, around evangelism, mm -hmm. around um, you can say um, modifying or, or or hoping for certain behavioral outcomes. Like we want people to you know to live a certain way, mm -hmm. um, and people can experience that in many ways. And sometimes the way that we it can be coercive um, mm -hmm. or interpreted that way. And so I think some of the anger comes from from hurt um, around uh, you know an experience of shame when some kind of behavioral standard wasn't met, for instance. I'm not, I'm not quite following where the anger comes in there. The aggressive, 
Are these the people who are aggressive that are angry or or Oh, it's the people that used to be Christians that are that that are angry. At what? At, at the institution, at church leaders and the institution of the church. Uh-huh. It's okay. primarily church leaders. I see. Because they represent the institution. Because the feeling I got from most of the people that end up in as in the atheist community are are, are angry at being told that they're going to hell if they don't perform in a certain way and having that constant sort of pressure on their lives which when they release from religion they they feel this great relief of not having of being able to dress in a certain way or behave in a certain way and not be have this fear of condemnation right so that's that's where i see the sort of that anger coming in because they feel that that part of their life was sort of taken away from them in their childhood. This is an innocence that was robbed. Or they're constant, constantly feeling having to perform in that in that way. I'm not surprised by that, mm. um, but that's that's maybe different yeah, from my stereotype, right? right? That's different from my stereotype. Yeah. Mine is more personal, mm-hmm. um, and personal in the sense of like it's 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 usually some kind of unpleasant encounter um, mm. they had with the with a church leader, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds like yours is more systemic, meaning like this is just kind of the nature of the way, you know, the, the faith system operates, um, which I think is unfortunate because I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't have that experience, but I can understand. You see that because you, those are the people you're familiar with and you're not as familiar with the the people who just grew up without religion. That's right. And they don't have that kind that's of right. anger. I have a smaller data set. Yeah. <laughs> that's where you get that stereotype from yeah. from yeah yeah um interesting yeah. and then and then i think you asked me how i felt how i feel in those situations um and i probably feel a little bit of fear um uh-huh. because i i uh, again i'm projecting the anger right uh-huh. um so i feel a little fear um because i'm not sure apprehension right right right, right. apprehension about yeah. what it's like to interact and especially if they yeah. if someone finds out i'm a pastor right. then is it does it become an adversarial yeah you yeah. know um yeah. He could. Right. There's a tendency. I mean, I feel that same fear when I. Oh God, do I want to get into a conversation? With this? That's right. That's right. Um, and then I think one thing that I I used to feel most Christians, um, especially who've been well trained, we definitely feel a pressure to um, proselytize that's to share right. the gospel. Yeah. And I and I don't think that's bad, um, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly part of our training. Yeah. Right. right. And so there is, that does, uh, affect the dynamic, um, in any given like social setting. Um, and we're going to feel that, um, probably in a more pronounced way. If we, if someone says that they're an atheist, right. We're going to, we're going to feel like there's, there's going to be opposite. We, I think we're going to expect some opposition. Sure. Right. And then depending on the personality or training of that particular Christian, they may want to address that head on, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like let's just start, you know, talking about Jesus from the get go. Or um, for some Christians, they just may want to run away, uh, meaning like not 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 approach that topic at all yeah. because they're scared of the confront. They're scared of the confrontation. Yeah. Or they may understand that it's probably not going to go anywhere. Right. And and we'll do that too because right. that's one reason we don't proselytize much because it usually doesn't go very far. But right. Unless you're friends and you can learn. That's right. Okay. So now that I've asked the the open-ended question yeah um i i had see now you gave a different answer than i was expecting 
because and I made I made an open-ended question what I was really sort of driving at was do you look at us and say well those guys are immoral <laughs> they have no purpose in life yeah um, they eat babies <laughs> right is that is that what it is? yeah 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 yeah, yeah I, I saw that question I was really hoping you'd ask me that because I was really looking forward to answering it so um, I'm I'm super excited to talk about that um, I think there is certainly a stage um, of my Christian life where I believed that where I saw atheists um, as immoral and evil um, and so on and so forth right um, and uh, and I think it took um, and again I think that's a little bit part of the training that we receive yeah, um, sure. because I heard of a, a, a church. Uh, can't be atheist. You can't be part <laughs> well, of this church and be an atheist, right? Well, I heard a celebrity pastor make this statement. Um, and he said, um, if it weren't for, if it weren't for Christ, mm. he'd be a serial killer. Really? Yeah. He said he made that kind of statement. And I just thought to myself, really? <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought a lot of things, but okay. um, I thought to myself, if that were true for me, yeah. You know, if I hadn't met Jesus or, you know, become a Christian, I am 100% certain I would not be a serial killer. Right. Right. Uh, it just, right. it, it's, it's, it's such a straw man, yeah. silly argument. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, read, I read some Sam Harris, I, uh, and he, mm -hmm. he has a book called The Moral Landscape, and mm -hmm. I've read some of his arguments. And I just realized it, you don't, morality and religion um, obviously are tied together, but they don't have to be. Right. They don't have to be tied right. together. Right. Um, and so... <clears throat> I'm. I have no problem, uh, you know, extricating those from each other. But I think part of the training you receive as an evangelical, right. or, or you know, is that they're tied together. Religion, morality have to go together, um, and that's just not. I mean, certainly there's a basis for morality because of my faith, mm -hmm. but that's not the only basis, right? I think it's a it's a very strong basis, mm -hmm. but it's not the exclusive basis. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I, I would say this. And, and maybe this will play to your expectation. I would I would say this, um, you know. And and again, this is this may not be uh, this may not uh, fall under the uh, morality category mm -hmm. um, for you. But I do see one aspect of atheism, um, and and certainly this is a huge temptation within Christianity. So I don't want to pretend this is a unique um, evil, um, mm -hmm. but I see a lot of pride, um, arrogance. I see arrogance within the atheist within the atheist position and again that's probably more associated with the intelligence yeah. <laughs> and the education of that community mm -hmm. than it is with the nature of being an atheist but i see a lot of uh intellectual pride mm. um yeah. and when i say that i mean like condescension like right. we're right. these uh backward uh mist you know believing in some fable right. um right. that and and rejecting science right yeah i that's I get that. I'm not sure where to go with that. <laughs> um, that of course, that that condescension it comes from the idea that I mean, the people wrote the Bibles long, long time ago before there was modern science, and, right. and so do they? Do they really have a better outlook on on life or morality than we than we do now? And, right. Um, it gets into this whole thing of the wokeness of now they now they want to rename the 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 Valley Medical Center at Bascom and take off the at Bascom because Bascom at one point had a slave mm. or something like that and so that just gets to be so the point is the morality of 
earlier times is, is different than, than right now. There's certainly a religious conception of morality, right? Mm -hmm. That overlaps with the with with common morality, but there are certain unique elements also. And so when I talk about the intellectual pride or hubris or or, or whatnot, and again, Christians are just as guilty um, of that. Um, that's actually within within the Bible, within the Christian uh, belief system, a very a serious sin, a serious evil. Um, Which is pride. Pride is a serious evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because it represents an independent spirit. Yeah, um, yeah. and that mm -hmm. and that uh, attitude of independence is uh, goes against how God created us. Mm -hmm. That's that's mm -hmm. part of our belief. Yeah. And so where um, where you might say, hey, you know what, that's what led us to all these different discoveries. That's part of the humanist, you know, zeitgeist or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. spirit. Um, we might say, well, that's that's also, you know, the Tower of Babel and this uh, this hubris that led to God mm -hmm. scattering mm -hmm. and making different mm -hmm. languages. Yeah. And so that that's one, uh, you know, moral dissonant, you know, some some place where it's not morally congruent, where we don't see something that you might see as a as a gift, we might see, you know, as something evil. Mm. But it, I mean, I, I recognize that it has both sides, right? Yeah, um, right? Ambition and pride are are very close together. You certainly recognize that people who are Christians in, in general, you're you're going to have a little bit more belief that they're going to treat you nicely, hmm. or be more humble. Um, so we do have that, that I do have that sense at least. Mm. Um, uh, but of course all the atheists I know are, are very friendly, nice people too, and would yeah. never think of hurting anyone. Right. And, um, I mean, what, what our people say is, well, if, if you need God to avoid killing me, then by all means, believe me, <laughs> by all means, keep your faith, But of course the humans treated each other with caring in uh, a long time before right. before these religious texts were written right. you know i mean there's there's evidence of neanderthal in the fossil records that had um a, a dis, uh, growth problem right. disabilities and they died at, at an old age so they could tell the age that they died at and and so they they must have been a burden to society and yet they were cared for and taken care of through adulthood right. by by the society so there's a lot of sense of fairness and, and even amongst animals there's that biological sense of fairness hmm. and um, in bonobos and uh you know they they make they make pacts with each other hmm. they help each other um they they mourn their dead um and and so there's a, even even vampire bats uh half the vampire bats or or a certain number of them don't get a blood meal every night mm. and so the ones that do they will come back to the cave and share it hmm. and so that they can help each other yeah it's altruistic way yes it's, yeah. it's altruistic and but but it's it's mutual altru altruism. Right. Well, you, you know, you help me, I'll help you, right. and and so it works for the collective benefit of that, uh, that community. Community, yeah. right? And yeah. so <clears throat> um, it's naturally born into us to be to be helpful. And there's always outliers, and there's always benefit. Um, now, and I don't, uh, I do not subscribe to the feeling that a lot of people do that. If if we could make everyone atheist, then all these problems would go away. Mm. You know, we're um, 
you know, everybody points to the, like you say, the, the, the problems within that, um, you know, some of the abuse. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that once society, if it were to become all atheist, there will be a similar fraction of yeah. humans creating problems and abusing people. It, it, it's not going to change that much. There are certain um, dynamics of human institutions yeah. that would uh, cross like, yeah, yeah, afflict any any institution. Right. Well, all right. This is a tough one. D define God for me. Do you really believe there's a guy sitting up in the clouds up there, looking down on us? Okay. Or what's your sure. what's your vision sure. of God? Sure. And I have a definition that I could give you that you might you might be okay with. Yeah, so I think one, um, you know, pretty common evangelical formulation is God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Okay, and so if I were to unpack that and define that, what that means is God can be everywhere at once. That's omnipresence. Um, so He doesn't inhabit a body, so He doesn't have a physical presence. So He's invisible, um, and He's able to be everywhere at once. So that's omnipresent. Omnipotent just means powerful. I mean, they say it means all powerful, but I, I think he's, he's, he's extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so he has the ability to influence and intervene in human affairs um, and be involved with our lives and also okay. speak to us. And yet we also retain the ability um, to make choices. Yeah. And so he, he can see um, an outcome um, ahead of time. Mm. Um, and uh and and have some influence in the uh in that end and how how it gets there but we actually have um a considerable degree of freedom in um in getting from point a to point z right there's there's a whole different ways but the fact that we're going to get to z um has been ordained like god says this okay. is this is how it's going to get there but how how we get there um can have a lot of had a lot of freedom to it mm -hmm. um what was the that was um that was omnipotent um, omnipresent and then omniscient, um, all knowing. Um, and that, that kind of went to the all knowing part where, um, God knows much. Um, and yeah. Um, are there things that God doesn't know? Well, while Jesus is on, on earth, there were certain things that he wasn't aware of. So God can limit his knowledge intentionally. Um, God can place limits on himself. Um, but when I, uh, you asked the question, what do I imagine when I imagine God? Say he, right? Yes, he, yes. That's just a generic. Yeah, I probably, I probably view, I, I view God as male. As male. Yeah, yeah, I view God as male. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, hmm. um, there are books like The Shack, which I really appreciate. It's, it's a work of fiction, mm -hmm. um, and it imagines the Trinity, mm -hmm. um, you know, God, uh, three in one, three persons in one, mm -hmm. um, as um, a white man, a black woman, and um, I think an Asian woman. I, I think I, I can't, I can't remember, but it, it was very creative. It was very imaginative, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say I have that um, that kind of imagination because I, mm -hmm. I think I usually imagine him as male. I probably imagine, I guess, if I had imagined him as human, I mean, as a, as a human being, and I, but I don't imagine him as human. I don't mm -hmm. really think of it as human. I think of either him as kind of like a Santa Claus figure. <laughs> and again, I'm not, I'm not proposing that I'm, that is accurate. You just, right, you, right. you know, when you ask me that question, I, I think of like a, like a Santa Claus type figure. Um, or I think of him and I've, I've had this um, kind of image for a while. I think of him. Um, it's not Simba. It's Mufasa. Mufasa from the Lion King. I think of him as a, as a lion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's it's a it's it's a, it's a symbol of um, the lions is dominant, 
right? Okay. Um, and so I think of a, I think of a lion. And visualize him as an actual being, or I, I've, I've heard of people saying, well, it, God exists in some other dimension that we don't really have access to. Yeah, and so that's why we can't find him when we take our spacecraft up into space or any of that. I, I don't think in those terms. No. Yeah, I don't think about finding God. Um, in, in any kind of physical sense, mm -hmm. but I don't, at the same time, don't think about him being in another dimension. But yet you're visualizing him as, as either an animal or. Animal. Right, right. But, but because God is, uh, I mean, the, the Bible is full of metaphor, right? right? It's, uh, and there's a lot of agricultural images. Okay. And so I think God, I believe God speaks to us in images that we experience in the physical realm. Okay. That doesn't mean he, he, is, the he is the same as those things. Um, it means that's how he chooses to manifest himself to us. Okay. To make um, it understandable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. What does God do when both teams on the football yeah. field ask for, uh, uh, you know, um, for victory or on the battlefield? That's such a great question that um, I don't, I don't think I have a great answer for. I'll tell you what I want to think. Okay. I, th I want to think that God does um, some very complicated cal calculations yeah. about who he wants um, mm. to win. Right. Um, and he um, certainly takes into consideration all the different prayers that are being mm. prayed. But of course, at the end of the day, <laughs> usually someone has to win, right? You can have ties, you can have all kinds of crazy things happen. Um, and may it may even be like I talked about point A to Z, that that outcome may be um, maybe preordained. But the way that you like the win or loss may be preordained throughout all of eternity, let's say, right, mm -hmm. um, or predestined throughout all of eternity. Mm -hmm. But um, how you get there, right, mm -hmm. is going to be extremely variable, uh -huh. right. And so you know, an interception or a star player gets hurt. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of permutations in getting to that final score or or the win or loss um, that could be influenced by the individual prayers mm -hmm. of the people. I see. Right. And so um, there's just, I just, it could be very, very complicated mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and, and, or very intricate. So that's why you have to play how... the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. preordained. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. The way that you get there. Right, right, right. Because here's the thing, right? Let's say, let's say, uh, you know, the team that you're praying for wins the game, but then you lose your star player. Is that really a win? Yeah. Right, right. So you, you know what I mean? And so, and God can, God can do that where you, know, you pray for something, but you don't get exactly what you, right. you get what you wanted, okay. but then you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then obviously there's times, well, in the way I see uh -huh. uh, your ACL story, there can be times where uh, you may not pray, but God can answer a hope or a desire uh -huh. that you have, I see. right? Because God doesn't, <clears throat> God doesn't actually require uh, us to pray in order for him to work. He, he, he desires it because it's collaborative, right? He wants to have a collaborative relationship with us, mm -hmm. but it's, it doesn't require it because he can, sure. he can do what he wants and he wants to heal. So okay. that's how I see. Napoleon had a different answer. Was that? I have no well, idea. His answer was God is usually on the side with the stronger artillery. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the Warriors won the NBA championship. <laughs> My last question was um, in regards to listening. Is there a question or a message you would want Christians to listen to? Sure. And far as atheists go, uh, really just the message that atheists do not hate Christian. Mm -hmm. They do not hate Christianity. Um, we'd rather keep some of those ideas out of, out of our classrooms and when we're teaching science. Um, there's, a, there's a reason for separation of church and state 
let me not go into that. That's okay. So that that's just the message. We yeah. we're not hateful. We we get this all the time. Why do why do atheists hate Christ or Christians? And we we don't. We uh, we're perfectly happy to uh, have everybody together in the, yeah. in the culture. Um, we we may ridicule some of the ideas because we just think they're ridiculous, but but we don't hate it. You know, yeah. we just think, um, you know, and and there can be if we have workable discussions and we we can work together, right? Obviously. And and then the message that we're moral and happy and um, try to be friendly and, and cooperative. So yeah. we're not in fear of of God, and we're not um, you know we're, we're just as ethical and moral as anybody else. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Yeah. This has so been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. yeah. This was a great discussion. Yeah. <laughs>